1: Welcome to episode 60 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast. I am Tom Mullen. In this episode, we welcome Brian Lowett. Brian Lowett started Love It Records and works at Discord. How awesome is that job? Uh, Love It Records started out in 95 and they put out some amazing bands, some of my favorites including Engine Down, 400 Years, Mile Marker, and in the background, Sleepy Time Trio. Brian also shed light on working at Discord, and we spent a good chunk of time talking about the festival MacRock Rock that we both attended. Search out this label, search out these bands, and keep digging, and wait for the breakdown. You grew up in Northern Virginia, correct? I did. And, you know, obviously being so connected, uh, you know, was going into D.C., was, was going to shows was that like a big event or is it something that you just sort of uh, always felt you needed to do I don't know sometimes you know DC to me when I first went I was like oh my god this place is crazy you <laughs> know there's so much going on or you know maybe my first time to the 930 club um, you know for you was it what was it about you know if it was you know getting into the scene was it even then or did it take did did you have to go to college first to sort of understand what was going on
0: um I started I had a friend in who I grew up with from like I guess we started becoming friends with them in third or fourth grade. My and my dad passed away when I was in elementary school and one of my um my mom was a teacher at the elementary school and one of her like co-teachers um she, uh sorry. She um basically helped my mom sometimes watch after school, like, I'd go to his house, and, like, so we we just became good friends because of it, and he lived down the street, and then so I think around, uh, he started getting into hardcore music, like, I don't know, maybe in seventh grade, so then he, he, like, made me a mix of, like, some stuff he was, like, listening to, and then um, I just got, like, really into it, and kind of helped, I don't know, it kind of was one of those things where I was like, holy shit, like, this is amazing, and, like, it kind of just opened this, like, weird world I didn't know existed in a way. What was on um, it? It was a lot of, like, Revelation hardcore and, like, you know, California stuff. It was a lot more East Coast stuff. I mean, West Coast stuff than East Coast stuff. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of all over the place. I don't remember exactly, but it was probably, like, Youth of Today and Judge and a lot of those type of bands. Um, and then, uh, was Shelter around then? It was stuff more like that. Like, yeah. Like, like, more raveny equal vision type stuff
1: and then, so then it got sure, for so then shows it got, yeah right
0: yeah so then i i don't know so then i was just like holy shit like this is amazing because i it was one of the things where i was never kind of like a normal kid and i never felt like i fully had fit into the, like one thing and so it just kind of opened this world to me where i was like oh this is really exciting it's not only do i really like the music but it's kind of it's its own like you know scene it's its own community so yeah i started going to shows and then um started going to I mean, at this point, I, started, I don't know what my first show exactly was. I guess it was probably 8th or ninth grade. And, um, yeah, I used to go to, like, in D.C., there were all the positive four shows that were, like, in church basements and, um, you know, just kind of all over the place, like day like day matinee shows. Um, yeah, i go to shows at the little 930 club. Um, a lot of times I would take Metro. I mean, I lived in Northern Virginia, but it was only a few stops outside of D.C. on the Metro, so I would take, you know, Metro and or like sometimes prior to, you know, prior to driving, like one of our friends' parents might drop us off outside the club and then pick us back up or something <laughs> if it was like an old 930 club, which is kind of funny thinking about it now. But um, and then, of course, when you start driving, you drive yourself. But um, yeah, so I just got I went to like every show possible, basically, at that point. And um, I used to go into Georgetown a lot and go to all the punk record stores and just bought like... Bought, like records all the time and um yeah so i just got like pretty pretty into it
1: and um, were you just like i mean was there a certain you know was it was it still the you know was it trade edge hardcore stuff was it was it more of the you know was it like post at that time like what what things were really you know sort of connecting with you band-wise or was it it just everything
0: everything it was kind of everything like if it was like a you know like a punk show i was into it um i didn't i was never like someone that really was into like the mosh pit and kind of more violent like Mm -hmm. pushing type shows i mean i went to plenty of shows where that stuff happened but um i definitely was probably more into like a positive force show than like i don't know like um maybe a matinee at like the safari club where there was like you know, it's going to be total chaos. Yeah. But I probably got away from the revelation stuff maybe a little bit as I kind of got more into it. I got more into like the, you know, like the more the discord DC scene. Um,
1: and what, yeah, what, I mean, it
0: was kind of, it was honestly a little bit of every, I mean, I'm, if it was, it was kind of funny. I mean, even like indie rock, like velocity girl or whatever, it was just like, if it was, if it was like a part of the like local scene, like I was kind of going to it or like into it.
1: What about DC? Like, I think. What about you know DC? That if someone's, you know, you 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 have you have a minute to like explain that scene because it's I've it, you know I've spent a lot of time there. It's so different from a Philly, a New York, a Boston, West Coast, y- Europe. There's just I always felt that there, it was so tight of a community. Like you know, it was everyone knew everyone, or there was this like sense of community and that. I didn't see anywhere else um, as much. I don't know if that was something that yeah, everyone, you felt. I mean,
0: yeah, I don't know if I had gotten into, like, yeah, I don't know if I had lived in, if I'd grown up in Philly or Boston, if I would have gotten into it as much because of the reasons you're standing. Like, I, I feel like there was definitely a sense of community in place in the DC scene and also a sense of, like, social responsibility. Like, I felt, you know, the punk scene, a lot of it, like, also was, like, you you know, like getting people to volunteer like, the homeless shelter or, like, you know, Positive Force was doing all these great things and really pushing, like, for social change, which I, I was also interested in. And they gave you, like, easy ways of, like, we're looking for people to do this on this Saturday or this. And I think it just kind of, like, you know, it made it more of a community where it wasn't just, like, you go to a show and you leave. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, like, when I went to start the label, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. So, you know, I asked, you know, people at Discord, I asked Simple Machines, and everyone was just always so helpful with sharing information. Like no one was just like, "Oh, this this guy's going to come and take this band from me. Or they're going to do something that's kind of like compete with me." Like that was never, you know, what was coming out of DC. It was more like, "Hey, let's all help each other." And so, you know, whenever anyone asked me how to do things, I tried to go. I mean, it's hard now if you get so many emails, but I try to go out of my way to like return the favor whenever I can was sharing information and stuff that I know some people just don't like to do because I'm just like, you know, I I had to start somewhere and everyone was helpful to me. So, you know, and everyone, you know, there's kind of the greater good. So I think DC was always about that. And it just made it a little bit maybe more special than some other music scenes. I mean, and the music was obviously great too.
1: Yeah, that's the other part. There were so many fucking good bands. I mean, I just, like, when I was at work today, I did, I was like, you know what, I'm going to look at the Discord records catalog. You just scroll again, because you know you forget some over the time, and you just start yeah, reading them, and you're like, "Oh my God, that era, this band, or this era, this band," and it, you just start to kind of in, yeah, in the '90s like yeah, huge
0: yeah, and a, I mean, well, you know a lot of those bands like you know the shows would be crowded, but the, a lot of those bands weren't that big in the end, but they you know their music's pretty timeless
1: yeah well that's the other thing is they're still mentioning people still mention um uh you know those bands uh and and it's they're in whatever article gets mentioned about whatever genre there's going to be a discord band in there and i think that's really interesting and why do you feel that is it is it dc and the political is it because there's so many suburbs uh you know that that are surrounding it with the maryland and virginia what do you have any hypothesis on what was sort of happening or why there was such a continuous stream of it?
0: I mean, I think one is people are are just supportive of music in d c like musicians are supportive of each other, and I think people you know I think people are more willing maybe to play music i don't I don't know if that makes sense, but I think well. I know, like, a place like New York, it's just more expensive to be in a band, let's say, because you pay a lot for a practice base, although D.C. is starting to get a little crazy with that stuff. But <laughs> I think, you know, back in the day, like, it was just a lot easier and probably cheaper in D.C. to be a band than it was in maybe New York. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just... I think things just support each other. If you have, like, some bands that are really good, then, every you know, other people want to play music and be a part of it, Um and it just kind of, kind of circles around.
1: Yeah, and then when you you went to went to school down in North Carolina at Guilford, and what was the you know I, it was funny I was reading and um, you would you were at the radio station and I you know I was doing the radio station stuff at the same time. It was that moment those those late nineties. I mean, you college radio was still a pretty big deal, and you can it help-
0: was that was a great thing to be a part of. I mean, it. it- <laughs> that's definitely the thing i miss about north carolina sometimes is um i guess it's, now you have internet radio but it's it's kind of um it's not the same like i don't know i i really like that in north carolina you could drive through the whole state and always get a good college radio station
1: yeah we were uh
0: all the way through the state like yeah like fifteen twenty of them like it was amazing always you are just like you just keep going you keep driving you'd always find like someone playing really good music you don't I mean you don't have that here
1: there was that sense of um unknown or you know it wasn't like we could we could we had a message board for the radio station so we could tell I remember being at the station I was at w s o e you know we were i think four exits on i forty you could hear us um and uh i Remember these kids calling in, and they were like, "Oh, you played this band, blah blah blah." And I'm like, "Oh, where are you from?" They're like, "Oh, we're in the high school." Like the high school kids were listening, and it occurred yeah, no, we got of-
0: that all the time. We got a couple of high school kids, one of which I actually still talk to now. But he um, they would tape like tape the radio show. Yeah, Cause they would like that was their way of finding out about band just because. And the first couple of times I heard it, it would just like blow my mind because the actually had a pretty good frequency. And um, you could get it into Virginia on a clear night. Oh um, wow! Yeah. So, um, which is funny because people kept trying to take over the station because it was um, it had a good. It was ninety point nine, or it is ninety point nine. And I know that people.
1: Oh, you guys got that? That that's that's pretty high up on the scale.
0: It is, yeah, and the frequency. So, the actually the crazy thing within that though is we always had um, for a little while there was some Christian station that wanted to like, take the call letter. So what they would do is they'd have people listen to the station 24-7, and every time someone would, like, say, you know, fuck, or, like, play a song with the word (laughs) fuck or whatever, they'd they'd report it. That's
1: amazing.
0: Yeah, they had people just listening to the station, just looking for a mess-up, and then they'd contact the um, FCC about it, because they were in, like, you know, after a couple months we found out, because the FCC sent us all these violins, you know, violations, and we had to, like, you know, the whole station went on notice, because well, they're just doing this because they're trying to get you guys all kicked off the whole station off the air because they want to take it over, and I was like, it's insane. What year was this? Uh, this would have probably been 95 or 96, I guess.
1: That is hilarious.
0: But I guess, you know, you can't just, if a new station wants to come on the air, you have to kick someone off basically, or take someone over, because it's not like they just have the empty frequencies. Yeah. They figured... I guess smartly that a college station be pretty easy pickings, but luckily the college was very supportive of the station and they knew it was actually a selling point, um, a selling point to certain students. So they, you know, they made sure that they supported the station. But there, I mean, there were points where they're like, "You guys have to clean up your act." Wow. But yeah, no. but I had just showed those
1: after ten, so you know, there were different rules. Safe haven hours.
0: Yeah, but they, you still could get in trouble for certain things, but, um, yeah, but no, I I loved, I loved that two hours a week I, was, I got to do it, and yeah. it was great, because I love, I love learning about new music, and, you know, every label would send you stuff, and then you, you obviously got free records, but you gotta listen to stuff first, and, yeah it was it was
1: great my favorite was probably the road trips to the shows playing the new music so that you know whoever's driving and they'd be like tom what do you got this week and i'm like oh i have x-band and it's this and they're like where is it you know and then you listen to it the whole way through or you're whatever maybe it's 30 minutes to carborough and then you know another record on the way back and it's it, I guess you know it, it's the the sense of an album is over or the sense of having that much patience but I vividly remember staring out a window listening to records and I just think think of me now doing that it would be I mean how many social updates would I've done after the show yeah
0: exactly no I remember I definitely remember car trips going to shows um, yeah I've, and what <laughs> I remember driving to um the cradles I guess it was probably one of it must have been Jawbreaker's last tour and gained like, gain a speeding ticket. Like, I just remember certain things in of the shows. I remember one time with um, one of my friends. We drove from Greensboro to D.C. to see Fugazi play at the 930 Club, and we drove there, went to the show, hung out, and then drove back to be at an 8 a.m. class and, you know, so I was, like, 10 hours of driving for three hours, but it was, like, worth it. But, I mean, of course, I wouldn't do that now, but, like,
1: you know, those are the things... And then? Remember. Oh, yeah. I, that's so funny you say that. I did the same thing for Sunny Day Real Estate at 930 Club.
0: Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but those things are like, yeah, at the time, you like, this is stupid, but you remember those things. And <laughs> You,
1: you know, had to do it. It was Sunny Day, you know, or you yeah, had to exactly.
0: do it. It was Fugazi. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So, uh, yeah,
0: no, um, no, I've... Yeah, the, the radio station... Yeah, college radio really tied things together for me. I mean, that's why I was just like, I was just like, well, but, you know, I was working at the station. I was just like, I wanted to be involved. in. I played DC music in North, you know, like one of my shows I did it was mostly I was just playing DC music down there. And that was cool because then I got to bring some of the bands that I played down there to play at Dick Street or at the college or different places and people had heard them. But then, you know, at some point I was just like, well... I don't, I'm not a musician, but I, I like being involved. And obviously I wasn't going to do the radio station after I left college. So I started kind of thinking about what I want to do. And then I was like, maybe I should put out records. And that's kind of how it came about. Like I was just at the radio station thinking about it. And then, um,
1: wow. yeah. That And yeah. The, the first release was Monarch Kid, was, right? Yep. Yeah. It was the Monarch at 7-inch.
0: And I didn't already know those guys. I actually just, I can't remember who gave me their contact, but, um, I just called them up and I was just like, look, I'm starting this label. Um, and I want to put out a seven-inch by you guys. I'd seen them play a bunch of times. Well, maybe not. They hadn't played a bunch of times. I should take that back. But I'd probably see them like five or six times. And they had been in a previous band called Orchid. And then I w- I was just like, why is no one putting this out? So I, so I was like, look, <clears throat> I'm gonna start a label. I want to put out a seven-inch by your band. And uh, that's kind of crazy because you know I don't have any records out or whatever. But this kind of how I want to do it. And they're like, that's cool. <laughs> So they they're like yeah let's do it. I was like huh. So um, yeah. So I put that was
1: the first release. And you probably learned a lot on, 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 at that time because it wasn't like it wasn't like you just uploaded it to fucking Bandcamp.
0: No. Well, although it was it was easier then. Honestly, tell me why. Um, well, there were weirder there are some weirder steps to doing a release back then for sure because. The artwork was a lot crazier because, well, that 7-inch, Jason Farrell designed it. And, uh, you know, he had to piece it all together by hand, and then we had to get the negatives done. And then they would, you know, make the print off the negatives, where now you can do everything on a computer and send it off. But um, so there were some things that were a little different and more cumbersome. But now, so before, you know, I got the 7-inch made, I sold them to, you know, uh, distributors, some stores, the band took some copies, sold it through the mail, and that was kind of it. We placed an ad or two, like in Heart Attack and Punk Planet. But now, you, you have to kind of do same thing. You have to do production. You have to, um, well, I guess there are not many magazines to do ads in anymore, but you, um, you have to sell to all the same people you did before, but then you also have to put it up on a million different websites like Bandcamp, itunes like you know all those places you have to like maintain your own website you have to um yeah there's just like you have to you know put it up on social media like instagram twitter facebook and then people get in touch with you over email and like all these different sources like their messaging about the release and it you know and of course they don't sell as well as they used to because more people might be listening to it online you may not be getting paid for it but um more people might hear the release than they used to in a way, but you're getting paid less and selling less, but you're doing maybe twice the amount of work on a release.
1: Yeah. It definitely feels like that sometimes where yeah, you're like, wait a minute, there's all this social media, there's all this website stuff. Yeah. And there's sort of a less return, but well, supposedly it, it, more people are listening.
0: Well, exactly. And I think more people are listening, which is cool, but you, it goes in such a, like a black hole that you kind you know, people are, but you kind of don't know. Cause when you sold records, you're like, okay, this shipment of 57 inches going to Japan, like this is going to that, like you don't really know what's happening half the time, like
1: because iTunes and Spotify have that data, not you.
0: Yeah, exactly, and it's getting passed around in other ways too. So in one way, it's like, okay, it's cool, it's getting around, but on the other hand, it's just like it, it's a little more thankless in a weird way because, I mean, I like the active, like I think it's fun to do melter sometimes because it's like you actually you're like oh this is going to this person at this address like it's an actual kind of like you know it's a personal transaction so yeah. if you're sending you're like okay you're picturing this person's going to put this record on they're gonna enjoy it but now it's like yeah, you upload to itunes and it's just like you get a like an excel sheet you know <laughs> you're just like <laughs> like here's your 49 cents <laughs> you know yeah, right i don't know and you're just like have, and then you sometimes you got to wonder like are these, like, would you know if Apple could just be shooting out any any number they want? Like, how would you ever know? Because, like, like, when you make a record, you have inventory, so you know if you're missing records. But, like, with digital stuff, you have no way to audit, like that their numbers are
1: correct and it's i feel like it's in and i mentioned this a lot on the podcast and it's because i'm old but i feel like it's it's there's missing this connection and i know that it still happens i know that there's still basement shows i know that these things still happen but there's that personal feeling you saying you you're writing this thing to japan and you're sending 50 records and wow i just sent 10 you know packages to japan maybe we should play there or... Yeah, exactly. No, it blows my mind like
0: when I it still blows my mind when I'm like, Oh, this person in China ordered a record, this is freaking awesome. <laughs> you don't get that you don't get that feeling when you get like just this like yeah.
1: S- spreadsheet.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's not the same. I mean it, it's not being it's not sounding old, it's just true. I mean, I think anyone that's younger would <laughs> agree it's more it's more exciting if they had they did it the other way because, I don't know. It it is weird. It's also just sometimes it just Feels like it's a lot more administrative work, yeah, than ever before, and it's it can be yeah, it can just be it can be overwhelming at times to put out a release because it's just you just feel like there's so many things you have to do.
1: Yeah, and there, you're, I mean, now now that you say it, you're right. Your first release, what was there, seven steps?
0: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now there's like thirty. Yeah. You know,
1: yeah. Um,
0: people, you put out the record, you sell them, and then you just move on to the next one. And that was kind of like maybe you'd repress it, but most of the time you just let it go and use that money to, to press another one. But, yeah, now it just lives kind of like in so many different places and you have to kind of maintain it. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's not that I mind doing it the way that it's being done now, but it it's just, it's harder to put out, it's harder to crank out releases. It just, it just is. And there's also the production delays of plants being so overrun.
1: Well, they they need to make together. uh they they need to bl- to make all those major label you know vinyl releases.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's 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 exactly the problem. And once they're out of all their weird like Ghostbuster like picture discs and
1: you want to know something funny about that one that what? that's that's the label I work for put that out. Oh really? And there's one where it's like a Stay puff, where it's like it's like a scratch and sniff. And like I was, I was blown away. I was like, "Oh my God, we have really gotten to the bottom."
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I definitely feel that way. And I also, I mean, even today, I mean, I'm, I won't mention who, but I got, I got a um a price increase notice from one of the pressing plants, and they increased their prices last year too. And they're like, "Well, you know, because of rising costs." It's like, yeah, but I I try to you know sell records at a cheaper price just to make them. More accessible, and you know if people don't like the record they don't they're like oh they're, they're more willing to take off. a chance at like thirteen yeah. fourteen dollars, but it's like the record plants are starting to you know raise their prices because they're they're seeing that the the labels are charging thirty forty dollars on some of these ridiculous records, like, but I'm not doing that, yeah, like you're killing me wow. like you're literally every time you're raising your prices five ten percent like it's you know I don't
1: I don't know it's it's pretty frustrating. People are buying them though. I mean that that Ghostbusters thing was was yeah definitely you know, crazy and it's it's depressing, right? Yeah, it's sort of. I mean my 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 professional life is like okay, well that's good. I get the you know I can still have a job. Right. I mean that's not obviously why, but like okay, well that's good. It's doing well. We're doing right for the market. But then my DIY brain is like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I
0: don't know. Well, I mean, I I'm think torn. at this point it's going to collapse under its own weight because record stores are going to. End up getting stuck with it all, but
1: because and now, if everyone doesn't know this, is the reason why everyone loves vinyl is because it's non-returnable. CDs are returnable. You could a store could buy thirty and they only sell fifteen. They can send the fifteen back and guess who pays for that? The label, but not yeah. vinyl. It's a one way. So I'm just, I'm teaching everybody. It's it's a one way. So those that's why everyone loves it. And I think you're totally right that the labels are going to get stuck with it.
0: Well, and also what I've run into is um, with CD, stores are obviously more willing to take a chance because well, it was returnable, but now, you know, if I call a store and say like, oh, we're putting out this new release, you know, and they're like, oh, my budget's spent because I bought the Ghostbusters thing for record store day because they were 30 bucks each, I needed 10 of them. So they're not like half the time, they're like, oh, I don't know, I'll take one or, you know, like something maybe they took three or four before, they just don't have the budgets because they're buying all these other high-priced records. So they have, like, a monthly budget of, like, $2,000 to buy new records a month. Like, you're just... It's hard, and it's, to, and it's, it's hard to get in there with that.
1: And it's and it's a different person that's buying that release versus an indie release. So the guy going in there looking for the Lovett records doesn't see it. But yep. the other person... That's interesting. It's almost like changing the audience of the record store.
0: Yeah, definitely. Hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's weird times for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Well, no, I mean, on the flip side, things like Bandcamp have have made it that people... It, it's an alternative in the fact that, like, if, you know, when I when I was growing up and I couldn't find a record, usually I would mail order records Record at time, like, based on, like, people doing ads and, like, you know, Punk planet or Heart Attack or whatever, or Max Rock and Roll. But, you know, if I couldn't find it at the store and couldn't find the address, you just didn't get the record. Yeah. <laughs> but now... I mean, if you want a record, you can get it in like seconds. So I guess, you know, there is the flip side of things like Bandcamp, which is like, well, you can find things, like the most obscure things, like instantaneously, which is cool. So that is a positive part of it.
1: Yeah. Um, I would love to talk about some bands, my favorite bands on Love It Records. And then I want you to mention some that people need to check out. Sure. Um, One of my favorites, I will just start with this one just because it's off the top of my head Sleepy Time Trio.
0: Great band, One like of my
1: favorite bands too. The, the the I there's a there's a word that gets misconstrued, and it's called screamo. I or you know chaotic. I have never felt like a show where I thought like, well, I felt it, but this would definitely their shows where you thought everything was gonna break, but it didn't. Um,
0: oh, or sometimes they did. Yeah, or or
1: did. What, uh, I, I would love the, you know, the story, how you found them, what sort of the, you know, the story behind it. And so, yeah, I mean, well, if anyone was, hasn't checked them out, you can pause the po- podcast right now, check them out and then press play again.
0: <laughs> definitely. What's well, funny because people that know the band love them for sure. Um, so I won't say they were underappreciated by any means, but I, 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 yeah, I'm sometimes I think they don't get enough credit though. Even as the people that give them credit, give them a lot of credit. Um, I think they definitely deserve all that credit plus some. But yeah, so um, Shelby, who played guitar and singer in Frodis, uh, has helped me with It stuff off and on for years. And he um, he told me about Sleepy Time Trio because he lived near one of the members and he gave me a tape, and he was like, hey, I think you 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 know you check this band out. It's a great band for It to put out. And he gave me a tape with um, some of their songs. I was just like, holy shit, this is amazing. So um, they had put out, I believe at that point, they put out two 7-inches, and they wanted to put out like an EP, like a 12-inch. And so I was just like, got to do this. So mm-hmm. um, I remember driving to Richmond with Shelby and seeing them, and then, did uh, you play the... Well, I might be getting shows confused but I think that show they played like a converted movie theater where they had taken all the seats out and um, they used to have shows in there but um yeah and I was just like yeah I, I want to do this so we put out that 12 inch um, that was the seventh love it release and then um, yeah it's funny because those guys have been in a million love it bands since like I'm just those guys ended up being friends friends and kind of Family for life, so that was like probably the best release in the fact that it, it spawned, spawned yeah and just like amazing friends and like from those friends, other friends, it just that was definitely the best decision the label ever made was putting out that band for sure, for <laughs> multiple <laughs> reasons, like I love those guys to death, and um they all mean a lot to me, but um. Nice yeah but they they broke up not too long after, and then we put out the c d which was kind of a discography of all their stuff, but then they um they've done like little stints here and there ever since I actually went to Japan with them a well a year and a half ago now, I guess um some guy in Japan offered to bring them over, Wow, so, yeah, so I facilitated that, and then of course, I was like, I'm going on this, <laughs> so um yeah, so um yeah, so they they do play every once in a while, and I think they're actually playing a house show in the spring like their whole thing is they they'll do shows like if like still if it's the right show but they they're not they don't want to do it for the money so they don't want to play like like you know 500 capacity club want to ask like hey do you want to play my basement a lot more likely they'll do it
1: wow i love that so
0: they just yeah because they just want to they want to do it because they love those songs and and they just want to do it to respect the music. So, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, those those guys are, are amazing.
1: Another uh, favorite, 400 Years.
0: Yeah, which, that kind of came out of Sleepy Time 2 because they toured together. So I, um, yeah, so Sleepy Time Trio and 400 Years toured a bunch. So we were putting, we put out 400 Years pre- pretty um, soon after Sleepy Time Trio and they, they went to Europe and then toured the U.S., together and stuff um but yeah they were um those records are all really great and uh yeah I still talk to a couple of those guys
1: nice yeah and then mile marker good mile stuff.
0: marker actually I'm working with again funny enough
1: oh no way tell us
0: so mile marker so Alan Dave well I put out um Dave's been a, in this band Oxes that I've been working with but mm-hmm. he him and then I'll move to Germany um mm-hmm. And then, well, I'll backtrack. So Mile Marker came about, though, because Ben Davis, who was the CP Time Trio, played in Mile Marker for a while. So then it made sense. And then they were they were a band. At that point, they were living in Carborough, North Carolina. Um, so, the, you know, and then since I was in Greensboro, it all kind of came together. So I put out the Mile Marker record, Frigid Form Cells, and then... Um, yeah, so what happened recently is Al and Dave decided to get it going again since they're both in Germany. Um, they're like, we should start doing this again. So I just released a two-song 7-inch uh, a couple months ago that they did, and then um, we're re reissuing Frigid on vinyl in the spring, and they actually just finished um, recording a new full-length. Oh, wow. Um, I, think they, I think they finished it yesterday, actually. Um so that's going to get mastered in a couple of weeks. And yeah, they're going to do a bunch of touring and stuff. They're going to tour the States, I think in the late summer is the plan at the moment. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. Some It's crazy how some things come full circle, but yeah, yeah. they were always, um, a band went through a lot of different lineup changes, but they're definitely one of my favorites. And that, that era mile marker that um, was just really awesome. They put on really intense, awesome live shows. Um, yeah. I mean, all three of those bands were playing around the same time and they were, I just, I was really lucky because I was just like, bands all like were amazing musicians and all just put on like killer, cool, live shows and toured a lot. Yeah, and and, and they were yeah, all connected. All their, yeah, and they all worked their asses off. Like, I mean, those <laughs> I don't know how many shows Milemarker did or, but like in the 90s, but it was it was insane. They were like all those bands were constantly on tour. <laughs>
1: Uh, another one that I think um everyone needs to pause and play if they haven 't heard um and uh is engine down and um definitely under the pretense of present tense that song the offer of something when I first heard it i I must have played it on my radio show every week um and then it just their live show everything about that band I think spawned so many other bands yeah. Um,
0: but- So Jonathan from Sleepy Time Trio was an engine down. So he and then um, Jason Wood, who was an engine down, was the um, Sleepy Time Trio roadie, and he sang on one of their songs. So there's like connection again with Sleepy Time Trio. But yeah, the first time I saw them was actually in Greensboro. They played at a house show. Jonathan's like, hey, you know, I'm in this new band. You should come check it out. I'm like, yeah, of course. And they were doing. I think there was a little overlap with Sleepy Time there too, actually, because you know everyone's in the 50 bands but it's funny they invited me to this house show and it was at this place i think it was called the broken window i can't remember but literally it was like a shed behind a house but you had to crawl through like a broken window to get in it was like, so sketchy yeah it was so sketchy it was unbelievable it was hilarious but yeah so that was the first time i saw them and i was just like holy shit and it was yeah, you know, all those early songs and i was just like you know, this is amazing. I have to, like, put it out. And then they gave me a demo that's like, don't. I hope you don't hate, like, don't hate us because these songs aren't all hashed out. I saw the demos sitting around here somewhere, and um, I was like, oh, fucking no. And I was just, like, blown away. So, yeah, I was really lucky to work with those guys. And then I actually went to Europe with them. I went, I went out on the road with them a couple of times. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those, yeah, they were just amazing. They were, I mean
1: as a as a fan watching them it was so different and i think it was like they they it's not like they planned what they were doing cuz they had the lights and they had the you know the imagery whatever it was i remember seeing them you know one mac rock or something yeah. It was yeah all red, the- but but I they just had it. they had it together and wow. i think it just showed this professionalism but they were this indie rock band and it kind of i don't know it just it 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 messed it, it didn't mess me up it made me sort of realize like fucking hey
0: <laughs> sure yeah it's funny about those lights the um we went to europe in late august of 2001 so we were in europe actually when on um, September 11th, 2001 and then um we we're actually in germany when everything happened it was pretty nutty but i i'm almost positive so we brought all that stuff over on the airplane like they had all those poles
1: they mm-hmm. like put together
0: all their lights themselves and almost positive we had to leave all that stuff in Europe because the, like the plane regulations like changed so fast. And we like, Oh, wow. So it was just like, you can't come on plane with a bunch of pipes, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So I think all that stuff got left in Europe if I remember correctly, but.
1: Oh, that's random. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, your uh, the, you know, the, uh, history and love of, you know, Frodo's and of course, Decahedron. Um, you know what what did that relationship sort of with that band and then you know you know Shelby or Jason mean to you and love it and sort of just well and I talk to those guys
0: all the time too I mean I probably got like five emails from Shelby today actually and I talked to Jason a couple of times a week on the phone but yeah, it's a show that was love it release number two and Shelby definitely um had like a lot of input in the label early on which was great and um yeah I talked I went road with those guys a couple of times too and we had a lot of fun and yeah, I mean, those are also, like, great great guys, great band, um, and, I, you know, like, putting out Furtis, actually, you know, led to, like, putting out CP Time Trio. It is funny how, like, one thing can kind of change yeah. of other things, so, um, but yeah, I mean, and then we just reissued the Furtis weapons vinyl, um, which we were originally going to put out back in the day, but they had broken up, and then... I think it was just at a point with the label where, like, we weren't sure. Like, we had a lot coming out. and They had broken up, and it just was a little unclear. Like, what you know, like, what was going to happen with their stuff, and it just got sat on, and then it got put up by this. Uh, it got put up by School by Ramen because our friend Tony worked there at the time, and he got them to put it out. And then they never even really promoted it. And it's funny because we ended up basically with the record after all this time anyway <laughs> but wow and, it, and now people appreciate it where you know when they broke up at the time the record just kind of came out and you know was a little bit lost even though it was it's such an amazing record
1: and the i mean did you feel as you were doing this label i mean it's it's been since what 95 96 yep and you know what are some of the ebbs and flows were there were there times when you're like, I got to hang this up, or was it just sort of a lull, and then a new band would come through where you'd hear about something, or, you know, a friend would mention something?
0: Um, right, i close for sure. I, I'm just one of those people that just doesn't give up on things, so even though, it's like, at times I'm just like, huh, like, or is there still interest in this, or whatever, like, something will come along. I, I'm going to feel like if it's going to, like, die, I'll just die naturally, and it'll be, like, obvious, where it just has, it's never hit that point um, I still enjoy doing it and it seems like you know people still enjoy you know maybe less than there used to be but there are <laughs> enough people that still enjoy buying the record and you know supporting that it's, it's still worth it and you know I've gotten a lot out of it I mean it's definitely it's definitely changed my life just in terms of it's maybe it's a lot of friends for life um, i got gotten to like travel around the world with people I've gotten to like and be friends with people around the world and correspond with like really cool people, and like you know get to go to a million shows. And I mean, it's you know, it's it's definitely shaped my life in a positive way. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's even though it at times it seems like a huge pain in the ass, <laughs> like you just feel buried in like weird stuff. Like, in the end, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't change it.
1: Yeah, and then um, you know, I think to the MacRock Festival that. Um, I've talked about it on the podcast, and um, I absolutely loved going to for close to yeah. ten years. I mean, I, yeah, no, right ten years in a row. Being I able to—that's
0: funny. That's probably about the number I went. I went to the first one through because my friend Tony, the guy that worked at Fuel by Ramen, started it, and he. Oh,
1: I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, yeah. He works at uh, Noi. He runs. He does the fest now in Florida. Ah.
1: Uh. Ah, I need to bug you about it. I kind of want to bug him about macro. I used to. Sure, you should
0: do a podcast with him. Actually, he's yeah. fascinating guy.
1: I saved every one of the booklets that they used to give out. Oh, it, really,
0: I probably have like three of them somewhere.
1: And uh, I remember they were doing some doc, and they like I sent them to some college kid, and I said please send these back, and they like never did, and then I had to like hound them. And I was like, "God, you're so college, God!" Yeah, exactly. No, um, no, I I love MacRock. I mean, we were the
0: biggest supporters of it. We had, you know, we had showcases at it for a number of years in a mm-hmm. row. And I was really sad when it kind of fell apart there. Um, I guess they got it going back again, but I don't know. At this point, I feel kind of removed from that festival because it kind of seemed to go off a cliff.
1: Where yeah, they
0: didn't care about where it came from. Somewhere around one year they changed the people working at, it, and they were just like. Kind of like, who are you? I'm like, are you are you fucking serious?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so
0: cases that there's like, you know, like for five years in a row or whatever. We've done always done ads, always done the label thing, and they just didn't seem to care. Like, and I was just like, you know, maybe it's just maybe it's just best to kind of be done with this one. But um, I would yeah, love.
1: I mean, what what if if someone's listening has no idea what we're talking about? It was this. It was this conference at Harrisonburg, Virginia, at James Madison University. It was put on by these kids, the school. Um, um yeah the radio station XWXJM and yeah. what was amazing i thought was that it was that region and it was the it was mid atlantic band yeah and it just you felt like you've it was so many bands and and it was this community you know if it was the spaghetti house had something at one time or if it was the main you know uh, a school center it seemed like the school was tolerant for a, you know for for a couple of days it was always a great label expo it just felt like you had this community where you could meet someone and it wasn't something that they lived in california or they lived in germany you could actually trade shows with them because they maybe were in maryland too um and it i felt like the bands played there and then, you know, next year you'd hear, oh, wow, what, oh, wow, they're that band's playing South by Southwest now? Like, you know, yeah, just saw no, them in Rock. To me,
0: it was like a million times better than South by Southwest than anything else because it was very focused. And like you said, you could walk, you could walk between the shows and, you know, it, it was just, it was definitely, you know, it was, it was like a, I mean, although it wasn't meant to just be a punk thing, but it really was not end, you know, like it, it just, yeah, it was just an amazing time to like see different people you don't see except you'd only see them at Mac Rock and you get to see amazing bands and just yeah, just so many good shows.
1: I remember a couple years I organized a um uh wiffle ball game, which I thought was random, like, you know, hey, we're going to meet on Sunday morning. Awesome. Uh, you know, show up, we got a wiffle ball, we're all going to play. Um, and you know, for a couple of years that, that was something, uh, I remember when I worked in my first year at my, the first label I ever worked for, I convinced them to let me fly down. Um, and so I remember flying to Charlottesville and renting a car, um, and like rolling up and it was just like, <laughs> I was like this is crazy, but I had to go because, you know, friends were playing or, you know, bands were, uh, that I wanted to see were playing. And I just remember laughing being like, wow, they actually let me go um to this again
0: <laughs> yeah no i i always had the i mean i have so many fun memories of that festival it's it's ridiculous it was it was definitely was a highlight like i was just like it's april you know like april's coming up that means MacRock. like the time of year when it's like yeah oh, oh it's like in a few months it'll be macrock and i mean like every one of our bands played it and you know then at, like I, I actually convinced fugazi to play one year because that was, was an
1: like, amazing show
0: yeah, because I told because like, they were just like looking for a show, and I was just like, "You guys should play Macrock Rock." Like, they didn't play festivals, so they were just like, "Well, it has to be its own separate show." Like, are you sure this is a cool thing? You know, and I was just like, "Yeah, like definitely." I think you guys sort up, like what you guys want to do.
1: That still but, gets yeah, talked it was just, about. Like, there
0: was always yeah, it was always like you get really cool bands to go there. And yeah I always went out of my way to like preach Mac rock to people like I was, I was like you got to play this you got to have like the have a label table you know like this is an important thing and it, it was it was an important thing for many years
1: you know it was interesting and I, and, and we'll we'll move on because uh, we're boring everybody but I could talk about Mac rock for five hours the <laughs> uh, the, the other thing I loved that uh, Ian did when he played was he did that uh talk because there were panels too and I think that's another thing to mention oh, yeah. the, they were panels and they were discussions about music or how to book a show and same thing as the show you could go to a festival or you know a sorry a panel and someone's talking about how to book your life and i don't know there's dumb questions but some kid answered maybe he started a label from it but ian did a talk and i remember it was in just random ass classroom and he was so fucking cool the whole time just answering questions and you know talking and it was just i mean for me being you know independent scene and the you know it was sort of you know hearing someone very fucking important talk
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no they yeah well yeah it was definitely they had a lot of different parts of that thing which were
1: which were cool it, did you convince but, ian to do that talk or that that uh, panel i don't
0: remember that part i mean i remember the talk but i don't i don't remember how that came about honestly so I can't,
1: I can't but the, the show part. but the show you convinced him to
0: yeah, well, they were. Yeah, they were like, "Are you sure this is like a cool thing to do?" Because you know, none of those guys had ever gone, and they you know, I was like, "Hey, you should definitely do this."
1: That's awesome. Yeah. You're like,
0: yeah. It's actually it's it's funny. There's actually a um, this festival. That's kind of sidetracking for a second, but there's this festival in Iceland I've gone to five times now called Iceland Airwaves. It's it kind of has a similar it's feel in a way to MacRock. It's And the fact that, I mean, the, the bands are definitely a little different, but they, um, Reykjavik's a pretty small town. So everything's like downtown and walkable. Ah. 6,000 tickets to it or something, but it's all at all different venues downtown. So you just walk between all the different shows and, and stuff. And then, you know, the shows go on to like four in the morning and it just, I don't know. They do have like panels and stuff too during the day and they have shows like they also have like shows just at, like, clothing stores or, like, just all over downtown during the day. Like, at night, it's, like, the official, like, you're supposed to have a badge to get into, like, the club, like, all the different clubs that partake, but during the day, you can see all those same bands at, like, a shoe store or, like, a restaurant or, like, the whole downtown's taken over by the festival. That's it's just, like, it's cool because it's all these random different venues and stuff that normally aren't venues and... Wow. It's yeah. So you're it's right because of I like remember... I'm, rock in a small way.
1: Yeah, because I remember there was a restaurant that I saw Coheed and Cambria play for the first time
0: yeah exactly
1: and it's like this was a restaurant for you know 362 days of the year
0: (laughs) yeah exactly that's why that's why the thing gives me that feel where it's just like they, they definitely like everyone partakes like everyone in the town is like into music that weekend I kind of felt that about Harrisonburg like like it took over the town in a
1: good way. Like it was just like there was music everywhere and it was beautiful. And I love that, you know, I, I do feel like that, that vegan restaurant that, you know, everyone was, you know, lined down the block for little, or the, little girl. yeah, little girl or the, or, or the cabbies at, at the school, even everyone yeah. was like, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, I think they got kids to go to that school because of MacRock.
0: Oh, I'm sure of it. I mean, that's the same reason, I mean, Guilford, there are definitely people that went to Guilford of a radio station.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, and um, I think you know you're right. That sort of feeling of that venue that isn't a venue is one for a couple days, and <laughs> then it goes back. Yeah, to no, I love I love
0: still going to shows that are at non-show spaces. They're, those shows to me are a lot more fascinating. Than going to see a band playing a bar.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I think too, and I want to talk about Discord and a little bit, but also, you know, the the sort of scenes that you were running the label through had an interesting, you know, time period. Um just because, you know, late 90s, you know, started the word emo or even the, you know, the punk scene that was sort of those bands were getting bigger. Um, you know, and selling lots of records and then mid 2000s, you know, crazy boom. Um on your side when you were still doing your things, were you feeling that? Were you were you, you know, sensing certain thoughts, um, or was it, I don't even notice it and I'm doing my own thing.
0: Um, I noticed it. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, there were like, you know, a lot of the bands are getting approached and stuff like engine down ended up putting that record, that last record. Well, I did the vinyl, but they put out the CD version on lookout. Um, and then, I mean, it was definitely like, you know, there was definitely, I think you could sense it around you for sure. Um, just because there was a lot more money in the scene than previous and everyone was trying to like you know find that band yeah um so yeah definitely i don't i don't know i don't know if like we sold more records at the time or or anything like that but i think there was a sense of like like everything's getting getting a little bigger i mean most of the band's we were talking about the Refuse thing before the podcast a little bit, but, like, a lot of the bands that kind of got big that I was friends with seemed to get big after the, after the fact more than when they were an actual <laughs> band. So it's kind of hard to say. But, I mean, I you know, like, it was nice, like, bigger, but there were always bands that were bigger, like, uh, Thursday, who would take our bands out on tour because they were fans of our bands.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like, Thursday, big would be like, Down, come do some shows with us, or Del Cielo, come do some shows with us. Like, some bands that were getting bigger who had actually started... As fans of our band, like we're you know being appreciative towards them, which was cool. Um, Actually, skipping back to MacRock for a second, a really funny story is um, the band the who you're who's totally underappreciated. Who everyone should check out if you haven't heard it. They're just totally insane, and the live you'd have to try to find some live footage of them. But they they played a um, a house show at MacRock one year in this basement you know, like next door washer and dryer, basically, or whatever. And, um, <laughs> amazing show. They used to do all these R and B cover songs. They would cover like R Kelly or like genuine. And like, it, it was, it was total madness. I'll just say, but, it, um, the, that band, the faint were there, the, were playing Mac rock that year. And the fame actually started more as like, kind of like a punk band. I don't yeah. Know
1: I, I remember that show.
0: So they were kind of a different style than when they got big, so the Faint actually saw the Rob Bros and were blown away, and they actually changed their style. They told the Rob Bros this years later. They played a, they had them play a show or two with them, and then they're like, "Man, we that show at MacRock you guys played that like changed the way we thought about music and what we wanted to play." <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, the Faint got big off of it.
1: <laughs> wow, I did not. Yeah, know they,
0: that. They, they they directly told them. They're like, "Yeah, that show made us like change our musical style." It's like it's crazy
1: yeah you're right because the faint we're told that first record's like a punk record yeah and then the next one is you know dance part the yeah, usa exactly.
0: yeah so yeah so there were things that yeah that were kind of directly but yeah
1: so we can blame mac rock for that
0: exactly blame mac rock for everything
1: <laughs> <laughs> um and then i think too i mean you now uh you do love it records and then you also work at discord correct Yep, and then you've been doing that since 2002. Uh,
0: yeah, about yeah. I guess that sounds about right. Yeah. What? <laughs>
1: how did that come about? I know that uh, Discord so, or did Discord Disturbed um, Yeah, love but, it. Is, is that how? Yeah. It started?
0: So yeah, so Discord um distributed all the love it stuff, and then so I used to be in there all the time, and then um. This gets kind of complicated. My so my friend Melissa, she used to work at Lumberjack, which was a a distributor. I don't know if you remember. Yes. Who um, my friend Eric started, and he also did Art Monk Construction.
1: I loved Art Monk.
0: Yeah. So he did both those things, ah. and then um, so my friend Melissa, who I met through this. So I used to take my records over to like Lumberjack too, and they would sell my records. So then Melissa worked over there got to be friends with her, and then at some point, she got a job at Discord. I think she she was an intern at DeSoto, and I think then Kim recommended her for a job at Discord. So, anyway, so at some point, she was at Discord, and then, you know, I was, and then she, they basically needed, like, some part-time help. So she recommended, she's like, you know, she's like, we should get Brian to come in and do that stuff. So then, you know, Ian offered to, like, basically, was like, do you, you know, could do some part-time work, and I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, you can always use some extra work when you're doing a record label obviously so so I started working there part time and then um, it became full time I mean basically Ian's like you know we sell your stuff like if you're able to incorporate the two things like you know you can use the resources over here and then do your love it stuff too and he's just always so generous about the whole thing so then I started working over there full time but able to do love it while I was there like kind of intermix some stuff so yeah so I've been over there for a while and then Melissa left for a while. Now she's, but then I actually brought her back about a year and a half ago. Oh, nice! So it kind of flipped. Yeah, she left and took a different job. But then um, some staffing changed around at Discord. So I was like, "You want to come back?" <laughs> so it's kind of funny. How so is I'm your? So I'm I've been there the longest now.
1: Oh wow! Now how how have your jobs you know morphed or changed? I mean, I've I've worked at indie labels, so you kind of have seven different jobs. Um, Vision, I think I had like six. Um, yeah, exactly. But for, is that how, how you guys kind of have it split up? Is it sort of a, uh, you know, everyone's kind of got...
0: Well, Discord's interest in the fact that it's kind of two companies. There's Discord Records and there's Discord Direct. Discord mm-hmm. Direct is the distribution wing. Um, that goes back to the... Um, this is, this might be boring to some people, but um, southern, southern U.S. and Southern... England used to um, manufacture and distribute discord stuff discord direct was set up because discord wanted to always be to sell their stuff directly to stores and at the cheapest possible price so discord direct used to buy the records from southern like southern manufacture them discord direct would buy them to sell to like discords direct Zone stores and then you to know, pay southern who then paid the royalty back on it or whatever but um, so discord direct was always there because Ian and Jeff always thought it was important for people to have a direct route if they wanted to go to it, so they didn't have to like you know go to a one stop or go through Southern or whatever. They they wanted people to be able to call Discord and buy the stuff wholesale. If you we were a kid selling at a show, we were a legit store. So they wanted to have that outlet. It was really important to them. So um, Southern now is long gone. So Discord Direct still exists, but Discord Direct actually does all the distribution like, sells to, like, all the distributors and then... Oh, wow. Yeah, and then Discord Records, you know, obviously exists as the label and does all the production and stuff on the record, so...
1: So you go you go back and forth between Discord Direct and then the record label?
0: Yeah, everyone does kind of work for everything. It, it's kind of funny, because within the office it's just kind of... You don't really think about what you're doing. <laughs> you just... <everyone laughs> just does, you know, there's not... There's a lot of, obviously, like it's two different sets of books and it's two different companies, but it's zero everyone, you know, obviously has to do stuff for both. I mean, technically I'm the like label manager for discord <laughs> records, but I, I do more than enough stuff for <laughs> to too. So.
1: You were about to say, I do a lot of shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just like everyone has to do everything. I mean, in the end, I guess I, you know, things, um, I deal with some of the bigger picture stuff than maybe some other people do, but everyone kind of everyone pitches in and does everything. So, yeah, so I do I do that, but the, luckily, I mean, it's been you know in the age of laptops and you know iPhones and iPads and everything else, you're just kind of always connected. So, I'm doing both Eleven and Discord basically at all hours, kind of equally. But you know, everyone, had, you know, it's kind of intertwined, like. I try to keep people in the office are all at Discord are really nice about, you know, like everyone like pitches in on Love It stuff if need be too. So
1: that's rad. And then,
0: yeah, some stuff I try to keep some stuff I try to keep separate on purpose just because I want to, you know, I want it to be my thing. But there's like plenty of things where it's not separate. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, And then, you know, I think. I mean, if you've hit indie rock jackpot, it's working for Discord and having a label distro through them. What's sort of your favorite thing about working with, because that label to me is, and there are labels before them, but, you know, for my generation or my things, is that's the gold standard um, for, you know, if it's pricing or aesthetic or um, going about your day, going about your life. Well, definitely. Um,
0: I mean, yeah, if you told, like, junior high me that you know me at this age would be doing you know working at discord and having a lot of responsibility i would be like you know like fuck you that's crazy (laughs) i mean when you when i step back from it 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 still does seem crazy to me just because yeah it was like a huge influence on me growing up like everything discord did was like it couldn't do any wrong to me
1: what's 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 most satisfying about working there and being a part of it
0: I mean, you're 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 part of history. I mean, you're definitely a part of something that's changed, you know, touched and changed so many people's lives, like around the world. Um, I mean, you can't really overstate the, you know, like what Discord has done over the years. I mean, obviously, you can find millions of random people in the world that have no idea like what it is, but you could also find millions of people that have actually been like, it's actually they have a real connection and have been affected by by something that Discord has put out or done. Which is you know, it's it's crazy. And you know, some days you just like when you step back you're like, oh that that's weird. Like, yeah, you just I mean you kinda obviously you have to work in the present and you you know, we're we do a lot of catalog stuff obviously, but we're still you know, we're still doing stuff for that day, but when you think about like the history of the label, um yeah, it, it's it's pretty insane. For sure, and just to be around it, like on a daily basis, is is really cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, we it's...
0: we get a lot of visitors that come in and they like freak out, I and mean, then like sometimes you kind of just forget because it, it's obviously a job. Um, and the fact that you know you go to it every day and you you work a certain number of hours and you know you have a routine, and then some days you just don't really think about what you're doing. You don't think like oh, like. I'm pulling these like, you know, original minor threat master tapes for something. You don't, you know, like don't really, you know, you're just like, you got a do you just, you know, you're just doing whatever you don't think. Yeah. So, um, I'm sorting these test pressings that are probably worth $10,000 or whatever. And you're not, you're not really thinking about it, but then someone will come in from like Peru and just like start like freaking out, like, like how happy they are to be like the office and like see the discord house and get a picture. And then you realize, you know, it kind of hits you again, like oh shit, like this is a really special thing to be a part of. Um,
1: I, I, mean, love I definitely that. don't take
0: it for granted at all, but there are there are you know you just kind of get in your routine and you just don't think about what you're doing some days and then, <laughs> you know it's a pretty common occurrence that someone will come in and be like really overwhelmed by by stopping by and you then you're like oh yeah that was me when I was a teenager. <laughs>
1: so. Yeah, I think to the yeah someone stopping by or um, I know a friend's band I think it was last it was this past summer had a photo with the in in. Front, it was uh, my friend's band, Rough Francis, um, and their oh. their their uh, their one of the members, or a few of the members in the band, the the their relatives and parents were in death, and so the you know the they were oh, kind I of like yeah yeah they were kind of being like oh my god I remember them texting me they're like Tommy Tommy where are the front of this <laughs> same thing yeah I mean that's the thing
0: it's like <laughs> we see like we're across the street the office is right across the street from the house so if we see um,
1: like a van pull up.
0: Yeah, like we're like we see people getting a picture outside the house. Like we'll be like, oh, you like they're taking a picture. We'll like you know, we'll like be like, hey, do you want us to take that picture? Or Like if Ian like hears people and he's not like you know on a phone call or doing something, he'll come out and like get pictures with them or like give them a quick tour or whatever. Yeah. Like we we all try to be like
1: because you know, that's really forward. cool about it. That just yeah. to hear that because that means that that random ass band and maybe. 10 years from now whatever something else happens and he's making a decision and i'm not saying that i'm just i'm not if i'm explaining this correctly but i feel like it just it just puts this in this right mindset like i went here this is what this means someone came out they talked to me for two minutes that meant the world i'm gonna go and try and be that too
0: well, exactly. No, I mean, it's fully, and we definitely understand that. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying about like people helping when I started to label, like, you know, I remember that, and I feel like I have to pass that pass that on, because, and hope that, you know, the person I've done that for will do the same thing. Yeah. Um, because, you know, like, in the end, we're all, you know, you got to treat people with respect, and, you know, it's just, it's just the right thing to do. I mean, it's like we can always take five minutes out of our day to you know, help someone take a picture outside or, like, give them a quick tour of the office or, you know, whatever. Like, you you know, you don't want to close the blinds and (laughs) be like, oh, let's pretend like we didn't see that person quick.
1: (laughs) Get away, kid. Yeah. We're making gold records in here, you know? Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, I'd say 95... the 99% of people are, like, really nice and, like, awesome to come and visit. I mean, there have been definitely a couple weirdos over the years that are just like, Jesus. <laughs> but, but, you know, like, for the most part, everyone's, like, super cool and, like, and nice and respectful, which is which is cool.
1: Well, I think it's absolutely, fa- you know, amazing that, you know, I've, you know, loved love it and I think you put out some amazing records and um when I put this up uh everybody that's listening I'll have some links up to some bands that everyone needs to check out and, and uh um you know, okay. you shaped how I've sort of listened to music and um created okay. music and I think you going then to discord it's almost like you've um you're you're able to do it even bigger.
0: Yeah, it it 100% is. I'm glad to be a part of it. And I'm glad it's still Still kicking around too
1: because <laughs> you need a job
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, i can find another job but yeah it's um it's yeah it's just yeah um it's just i I don't know it's the same thing with lovey you just never know like when something's gonna stop but it'll you know everything has a life cycle but i'm, I'm glad that you know that that discord's been able to continue on and that you know, everyone's going keep because it means a lot to a lot
1: of people. So. Definitely. Hope you have a good rest of your night and you uh, really, really appreciate this chat. And uh, it meant a lot that you took time to do this.
0: Of course. Well, thank you.